Gracious God, we thank you for this incredibly awesome opportunity. Help us to do something incredibly awesome with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So we know that school is going to start tomorrow, and what that means for all of us is that there are going to be a whole lot of first impressions to be made. Teachers are going to make impressions on students, students on teachers, teachers on parents, parents on teachers, students on teachers. And what that means is that we've got this whole big messy web that's going to happen tomorrow with all of these foundational meetings, the start of a whole new year, all new relationships. So it seems like today is going to be a great day for us to talk about first impressions. There is a radio station that I listen to in the mornings, and they play this game every week where they pick a random photo of someone, someone that they, they know, and they stick it up on their webpage, and they have callers call in to kind of guess what the person's like. And, you know, some callers are silly about, they're like, oh, I can definitely tell by looking at that picture, that's a woman. Um, and then some of, the pic some, some of the callers call, and they're like, well, I think she's a real estate agent from Nebraska with three kids, probably second career, psychology first. And they go on and on and on, all based on this one picture that they know nothing else about. That's what happened to Tommy in the seventh grade. Tommy was this new kid in my Algebra One class, and Miss Selznick put his desk right next to mine. You might think this is a good thing. It was not. Most of my friends saw Tommy come into the classroom and all just looked at me and started laughing and pointing because I had definitely drawn the short straw, and I felt very stuck about this. In my seventh grade brain, I had determined that Miss Selznick clearly hated me, which I found out later was pretty darn accurate. <laughs> and, and so while I had to sit next to Tommy, I didn't have to like it or like him. Tommy was unlike any person that I'd ever met before. In fact, he was unlike any person that anybody had ever met before. He wouldn't look at anybody in the eyes. And he did this weird thing where his eyes constantly darted around the room and then they twitch. They would just twitch all the time, even when he was talking to you and not looking at you. And every now and again, just out of nowhere, we could be in the middle of a lesson and he'd just make a sound or he'd shout out a word that had nothing to do with anything. Even Miss Selznick was not impressed with Tommy. And then, when the bell would ring, he would literally bounce to his next class. He'd get up on the balls of his feet, and he would bounce to the next classroom. And he always, always, always had this cowlick in the back of his hair. And the strangest thing about Tommy was that for some reason, he felt compelled, compelled to share the strangest, most random facts about the strangest, most random stuff to everyone. Nobody found Tommy endearing. Not surprisingly, Tommy's parents pulled Tommy out of school by the eighth grade, and we were pretty sure that they had moved him to a town called Loserville, because that's what we thought Tommy deserved. Have you ever thought about how you receive first impressions? Are you the kind of person that can ever get past them? 
Or is it that you meet someone or you see someone and you just decide this is who they're going to be and there is no room for that to change? Today we're looking at the story of, of Samuel and Samuel is considered to be a prophet and his gifting is specifically geared towards helping the people of Israel make transitions, collectively as a group, make transitions. He was one of God's instruments in, in helping the people transition from the period of having judges to this period of having kings. And what's interesting here, for the most part, about Samuel is that he's not a guy who's super interested in politics. He really likes working, for, for lack of a better word, in the church. He's not really that vested in, in what happens out in the community, but there's two times when God calls him out of his religious setting and calls him out for the purposes of serving the larger world. Both of these times are to anoint kings. So Samuel anointed the first king, Saul, and now he's being called up again to raise up King David. Now here's where it gets interesting. What gets interesting is that when God first enters into this conversation with Samuel, he's not excited about it. The part that we didn't read in, in chapter 16 that goes right before these verses is a conversation between God and Samuel. And God says to Samuel, basically, you've got to get over Saul. You, you've got to get over him. You've got to stop grieving him. He's no longer my chosen one. We're going on to somebody else. I, I, don't, think, I, I don't think that that's something we want to overlook, that grief that comes with not getting it your way. That's the first important lesson that we have in this passage this morning. Things do not always go the way that we want them to go, either in school or in life. So you may not always get the teacher that you want or the students that you want or the parents that you want. You may not get the schedule that you want. I have a friend who teaches in the Baltimore City school system and every year she says the same thing to me. She's like, I don't care which kids I get, but there are some parents that I do not want in my <laughs> classroom. But we know, we know that it doesn't always work out the way that we want, and it's okay to have a bit, a bit of grief and sadness over that, just a little bit. In Samuel's case, he's somebody that anointed Saul. He's seen Saul grow up as the king. He's got a lot invested in, in this guy. And then to find out that God chose somebody else, well, you can, you can understand why Samuel's a little hurt, a little upset. And I want you to hear that it's not that God's against grieving or, or sadness or being frustrated. But there does come this point, as my mom says, where you just have to put on your big girl pants and deal with it. And that's what God's saying to Samuel. We're moving on. You're going to be a part of it. Help, be a part of it. So Samuel heads off to Bethlehem and he goes to the house of Jesse where God is going to show him the next king. What I love about the Old Testament is that nobody gets anywhere fast. So the blessing of not being able to get somewhere fast is that you have time to think about this. You can step back, take a deep breath, regroup and go forward. So Samuel's got this time en route to Bethlehem to, to kind of figure out, 
okay, we're going in a new direction. What is this new king going to look like? Now, Samuel didn't have a specific person in mind, but it's likely that he had a list of qualities that he was looking for. You're going to go look for a king? Okay, you want some qualities. One of my most, well, actually my least favorite game that school administrators play with parents on the elementary level, and every parent in this room knows this game, you can't request a teacher by name, right? We're not going to do that. We're going to request them by qualification. And, and so, so as somebody who's had kids go through elementary school, I've played this game for a very long time. And by Anna's fifth grade year, I was really, really tired of the qualification game. So I kid you not, the letter that I wrote to Anna's principal said this. I would like for Anna's teacher to be six foot five and male. There is one male teacher in the fifth grade. And, and, and what was interesting about this is I, I played the game exactly the way that they said to do it, right? I wrote out the qualifications. I never said his name, but I played the game. So Samuel arrives in town, and he has this idea in his head of who he wants as the next king. Well, if you were in Samuel's position, what, what kind of qualities would you, would you want in a king? Would you want somebody that has leadership skills? Maybe broad shoulders to carry the weight of that responsibility, somebody who's, who's tall and, and imposing? Samuel has a picture in his mind when he meets Jesse's oldest son, and Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, meets these qualifications. So Samuel thought, this is awesome. This is the best assignment ever. I just get a picture in my mind. I go into town. Bang, we're done. First Samuel 16:6 6 says, When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. According to outside sources, Eliab was tall. He had these fair features. In fact, he looked a whole lot like King Saul. He looked exactly what Samuel understood to be a king. He looked like the teacher that you had last year that you loved and you want to replicate. He's also the oldest of Jesse's sons, so typically when you think about the oldest, you think about somebody that, that's going to be a leader, that's going to be strong. But the Lord says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. I often wish that the Lord was the team captain during middle school dodgeball selections, <laughs> right? Look at the heart, not at the person. We live in a time and culture where we have rapid-fire opportunities to make first impressions. And we do that. You do this on a regular basis, even if you don't realize how quickly it happens. Sung and I, we were up in Brandon this past weekend, and we're driving. And as you know, and I'm kind of biased about this, Pastor Sung is the nicest person on earth. And, um, oh, and, and we got cut off. We got cut off. And, and I'm okay when you cut me off. I kind of expect that. But don't cut off the nicest person on earth. And, and this car, this car that cut us off, this was a ginormous, the, the largest decked 
out Lexus SUV that I have ever seen. And the lady who is driving it is on this phone in her very important conversation, and she is all self-absorbed, and she is all about herself. And the car cuts us off, and Sung and I see the bumper sticker on the back, and I kid you not, in the same voice, immediately said, oh, St. Stephen's, that makes sense, right there. <laughs> now wait, now wait. You do this, too. Not, maybe not to St. Stephen's, but you do this too. And here's the crazy thing about it, and here's why it's so wrong. Here's why it's so wrong. We don't know that person. We have no idea who she is. She could be a lovely individual. She could do great things for the kingdom. She could be a follower of Jesus Christ. We have no idea, but we saw one sticker, just one, and now we know everything about who she is. And just in case you're wondering, this works the opposite way too. It really does. I had a milestone moment this week. I went to my first ever freshman orientation as a parent. There was crying. We call it allergies. Um, and what Sung and I have found, what, what Pastor Sung and I have found about this most fascinating process is the judgment. There is a lot of judgment that comes when people ask us where our daughter is, is going to school. And you would think that after three years of her middle school choice, we would be totally okay with this. But yet, for some reason, here we are in a new chapter, and there's, there's a whole lot of, of judgment that comes with us. And, and so it's happened so frequently now that we actually have a pat response to this. Somebody comes up to us, oh, where's Anna going to go to high school? Step one, smile. Step two, confidence. Confidence, not because we're faking it, because we're really confident about where she's going to school. And then we respond to them, she is going to Southeast High School. And then, Darcy went there, so she's, okay. And, and then, and then, and this happens almost every single time. We have to wait for them to stop choking, right? And to get a handle on their look of total disbelief so that they can compose themselves long enough to ask us what they really want to know. Why? Why are you going to do this to her? And we know that the question is not rooted in why. They don't care why. They want us to understand that they are genuinely concerned about the welfare of our daughter and are questioning whether or not Sung and I are even fit to be parents. And, and I get that. I get that because if you go to Southeast High School today and you drive by Southeast High School, you're going to look at it on the outside. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, because it's an older school. It's the smallest of the schools in Manatee County, the smallest of the high schools. It, it kind of got overlooked when Lakewood Ranch was built and all the resources started going out there. It's located in a neighborhood that let's be honest, needs some TLC. In fact, this year, it became a Title I school. Title I means that you have an extraordinary amount of kids that are living at or below the poverty line. And so, so then the assumption is that just because somebody's poor, they don't deserve a quality education. And what we discover is that when people drive by Southeast, they accelerate. They want to keep 
ongoing. So they're very concerned. They're very concerned that we put our daughter into this kind of environment. And it's usually at this point when I will ask them, well, have you ever been inside of Southeast? And do you know what the answer is? No. No, I've never been in. But I have, and Pastor Sung has, and Anna has, and, and here's what we can tell you, because we've been on there on campus a whole lot more than just once. What we can tell you is that the outward appearance is not beautiful. The heart, the students, the administration, the teachers, the parents are amazing. Amazing. And even at that, even for as amazing as we think that school is, it's not a perfect school, it's not perfect for everybody, and neither is Manatee, and neither is St. Stephen's, and we gotta stop. We gotta stop judging everybody on the choices that they make based on our very limited outside knowledge of what we think we know. After God told Samuel that Eliab was not the one, that he was not the right fit for the king, Samuel went through a whole line of Jesse's family en route to David. First one brother, then another, then seven brothers, right through the line. None of them, none of them are who Samuel was looking for. And so finally Samuel says, all right, is there anybody else? You got anybody else? And Jesse says, well, you know, yeah, but he's out taking care of the sheep. And Samuel says, all right, well, we're just going to wait. We're going to wait for him to get here. We'll, we'll take a look. So David shows up, and, and the scripture says that he was ruddy. He was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. When you look at that last verse, and that verse that, that describes David, you see again how, how even in positive light, we humans we want to classify people by how they look on the outside. The Lord didn't pick David because he, he had ruddy skin. Ruddy, by the way, means that his face was red, that he was healthy by those standards, or because he had beautiful eyes, or because he was handsome. The Lord God picked him because he knew that David had a heart for the Lord that he would be a good leader, that he would be capable of doing what God had called him to do. Doesn't mean that he was perfect. And we know that. We know that on this side of Scripture, that David was not perfect. He was a sinner. He made mistakes. But God had a plan and a purpose for David. So that's what I want us to take into tomorrow. God has a plan. God has a purpose for all of us. And there is a good, strong possibility that we're not going to be able to see that plan on first impressions by looking at the outside of people, places, or things. That's going to be true of teachers, students, parents, and everyone else that you will encounter in this life. So, for my students who did not get the teacher that they want, for the teachers that did not get the students or the parents that they want, for the high schoolers that did not get the schedule that you want, you can be sad for a minute or two. That's going to be okay. But do not get so caught up in your grief that you cannot take a deeper look at what God is going to do in your life with some very specific people starting tomorrow morning. I decided to go ahead and reach out to Tommy this spring. 
It was very heavy on my heart that based on first impressions, I was pretty awful to him in the seventh grade. Tommy is doing all right. Tommy figured out that since people didn't want to work with him, they could work for him. And so he started his own business, and he's very successful at it. And he got married, and he had a little boy. And the only thing that was more shocking, shocking than that Tommy became successful was when Tommy said to me, gosh, who would have thought, based on who you were in seventh grade, that you'd become a pastor? <laughs> right? You've got to admit that first impressions, first impressions can be deceiving. So tomorrow, when we all go out into the world, whether or not you're going to school or not, you will make a ton of first impressions, you will receive a ton of first impressions. Don't get trapped by them. Do not let them define you. Take them as an opportunity to see that God's about to do something very, very cool in your life. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we, uh, we confess that we, we look at people, we look at bumper stickers, we look at places, we take a glance, and we just, we just assume that we know everything there is to know, that we have a handle on, on our impression, and that our impression is the only one that counts. Help us every time now that we look at someone, that we look at someplace, before we pass our judgment, to look at them with your eyes, with your heart. Help us to reframe what we see and to give them the opportunity to show us your purpose for our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.